We live in a, like you didn't know this, in a mixed up world. <laughs> and um, one example is this. We have, uh, we have adult people living as little kids. And we've got little kids having to act like adults. And that's, that's going to happen more and more with the breakup of the family, really. Um, and it, it ought to be a concern to us. And, you know, it comes back to us as parents and grandparents providing godly examples and pointing people to the word. Uh, we've sung some tremendous songs here this morning that point to how Jesus has rescued us, right? You've been rescued? I hope you have. If you have not been rescued, um, we implore you to be saved. Come to faith in Jesus Christ. You must be born again, Jesus said. And this is the one of the amazing things of the Christian faith. The call is to be saved, to be born again. And the neat thing is that God didn't uh, just say, okay, you're in my family now, great, glad to see it, you're in my family. No, he expects there to be growth. He expects there to be um, the prog- progress of maturity, right? And that's what we talked about last week from 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 12 through 14, talking about a child, a young man, and a spiritual father. And all of us who say that we're believers are, are in that. We're in that mix at some place. And we might be old in age, but we might be young in faith. And so God's design is that you and I grow. And this is a, this ought to be a concern of every, um, every Christian, every pastor, every church, that we're not just preaching the same message, but we're preaching the message of the Word of God so that you can grow in your faith and mature in your faith. That's absolutely critical. Okay? And so it's um, our task today to go after this issue that is kind of the contrary to what we spoke on last week. So here we go. The complications of the carnal Christian. It's in your bulletin if you want to follow along in the outline here. Yes, life is good, but it's complicated. (laughs) There are challenges and trials. There's rejections. There's setbacks. For the believer, all of these are supposed to help us grow and gain strength, but not just gain strength, but grow in wisdom. If you took some time to study the book of Proverbs, you'd be hearing after, chapter after chapter, verse after verse about, my son, if you'll just lean, uh, lend your ear to my instruction. And what you're reading there is God calling to you through the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, to grow in wisdom. Okay, So this is another aspect of growing and maturing in your faith. Right? So, now, this issue of, of immaturity. Let's just get this out on the table. We know it's there. Everyone's got to deal with it. It's a part of life. It's awkward. It's clumsy. It can be embarrassing. You know, it's, it's that stage of life that we, adults, look and say, well, that's all about your childhood or your adolescence. Uh, after all, we adults don't have those problems anymore, right? So we're, we're mature. And it's you younger children that are, you know, striving to be like all of us mature adults. Yeah. So that's what we want. But hey, listen, that's the example that we 
must hold to and say, I want to show an example of godliness in my life, of maturity in the faith. And so we press on. Okay, We want to keep pressing on to know him in a deeper way. But Scripture points out this issue of immaturity in a number of places. And uh, it's important for us to to recognize it. So in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses this issue. And again, what this ties to is you and me growing as disciples of Jesus Christ. Not just saying, well, I'm in the family, but growing so that you are knowing more and more about what it's like to be a child of God. Okay? Now, the complications of the carnal Christian, why I say carnal is all that means for those that don't know, all that means is uh, fleshly. You're driven by the flesh. Or it's a worldly Christian. In our day and age, it's like that's not a term we use a whole lot anymore. Back in the 60s and 70s, it was a big thing. You know, we, we were a lot more alert about it then. Oh, that's worldly. That's fleshly. That's carnal. And that, be, that was more of an edge for us. And that was a, a concern. I don't want to be like that. But nowadays, it's like there's, there's not such a definite difference, it seems like. And that's wrong. There ought to be a distinction between you, Christian, and the world. Okay? So, Paul is dealing with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it's surrounding this. It's not just 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 4, but it's surrounding it. And it's of great concern to him. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly or carnal? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men or acting according to the world? So we want to kind of unpack this and and see what are these complications brought about by carnal Christianity? Number one is it it causes a certain confusion. It causes a certain confusion. Corinthian believers are addressed here by Paul as what? Brothers. Okay? And a brother is one in whom the Holy Spirit resides. The Holy Spirit resides in all Christians, all true believers. The Holy Holy Spirit resides in him. Now, you back up to the end of chapter 2, look at it, in verse 14. And it says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually praised. There's the description of someone who's not a believer. He's a natural man. Okay? So, 
the um, letter A here, let me just give this. He's confirmed as a believer there, okay? He's confirmed that the people that he's talking to, he, he confirms them as believers. Um, when a person comes to faith in Christ, a number of things happen, but one in particular is that the Holy Spirit comes in. We already mentioned that. You might not feel the Holy Spirit come into your life. But the Bible says that when a person comes to true faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit makes residence there. You're now the temple of the Lord. Your body is the temple of the Lord. And collectively, we ought to be the temple of the Lord, whether we meet here or out in the park or out in the parking lot. We're the temple of the Lord. Your body is the temple of the Lord if, if you're a Christian. Okay? And so that's confirmed here under uh, letter A. But as you and I know, most of us who've been around the block a few times, we know that the, the Christian still faces battles and skirmishes against the devil, against the world, against the flesh. And the flesh that you, that the old nature that's still in you still wants to grab the control of your life. And so there's a battle going on. There's still a battle happening. First Peter chapter two, verse one, or verse 11 says that we Christians are to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And then he describes it as which wage war against your soul. And a lot of times we skip over that Christian. We, we just act like, Oh, the, the devil's attacking me or it's, it's uh, other people that are a lot of times we Forget, it's your own old nature that's struggling for control in your life. Right? There's a n- numerous passages that talk about this, that the, the flesh is contrary to the spirit and the spirit to the flesh. There's, there's a, a, a battle going on. You know, you, you came to faith in Christ, and why didn't things just go smooth the rest of the time? <laughs> After all, you know Jesus and everything should be fine now that you know Jesus. But it doesn't happen that way. There's still the presence of the the old nature in your life. And you, the more you recognize that and then submit to the word, submit to the Holy Spirit, submit to the Lordship of Christ, then you're going to say, okay, God, I've got this problem. You, you know it better than anyone. I want to I want to submit to you. I want to walk in your way. But the problem is, Christians, many Christians do not submit to the whole, the work of the Holy Spirit. Do not submit to the Lordship of Christ. And then, wait a minute. Letter B says, yet controlled by the flesh. That's where the confusion comes in. That's why it's it's a certain confusion. Why? There really shouldn't be the category. Listen to this. There shouldn't be the category of a carnal Christian. And yet there is. And in other words, you and I should not bank on it or lean on it and say, well, I'm just having a carnal moment. Right? Because we ought to say, well, then if you're having a carnal moment, confess it and get walking with Jesus again. Move. Get moving. Don't sit back and say, you're having a carnal moment. 
Letter B is about being controlled by the flesh. And that word carnal, fleshly, it's the, the control issue is for what? Your mind, right? The control issue is for what's going on in your mind, how you're thinking. Look at what he says there. I, in verse one, I brethren could not speak to you. What's he, he's communicating a message and he's saying, I can't speak to you in these ways. That's a, that's, behind that is, is a, a huge thing of control. What's, what's controlling your thoughts? Romans chapter 12, one and two talk about, you know, not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the only way that can happen is with the word of God that acts like water, washing over your soul, washing over your, your thoughts and bringing forth what? Spiritual thoughts. Okay. So under letter 1B, mark down Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That cannot please God, right? That cannot please God. And yet, all the while, you're saying you're a Christian. Yet you keep going back mentally to your thoughts that are fleshly, worldly. It doesn't make sense, right? That's why we we would call this like an anomaly. Abnormal. It's something abnormal. It's, It's a deviation from the common rule. So what's the common rule in Scripture about a Christian? Not perfection, but certainly not carnality. That's what God wants to bring about and change in your life. So, um, another term we use in this kind of thing is, uh, it's an oxymoron. What's an oxymoron? Look at my glasses. Plastic glasses. That's an oxymoron. <laughs> right? Um, Patty had a, where's Patty? Had a farewell reception. No. I mean, we understand that. We get that. You know, uh, pretty ugly. (laughs) No. You you get my point? You're you're so awfully kind. (laughs) Those kind of things. And it's the same way with a carnal Christian. That's the idea. We're not supposed to make room for it and say, oh, that, that's just going to happen. No, the idea is that you get out of that. You recognize it and move away from it and don't allow the oxymoron title to be over your life. Okay? So, that's number one. The carnal Christian causes a certain confusion. Number two, it causes a certain um, constriction or a congestion, if you like that word better. Look at verse two. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. Why? You were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able for you are still fleshly. Start of verse three there. And here's what's behind this. It's implying that they should have been, right? They should have been ready for meat, solid food. They're not. He had to give them milk. What does that look like? 
if you were to, you know, if I were to just come to you Sunday after Sunday and just say, now remember, God loves you, and that's the extent of our, our Bible study, and you hear it over and over again, that's true, and it's good milk, but it's not going to get to where solid food is, so we've got to go a bit more into working it over, chewing it over, and digesting it, right? That's the truth of the scriptures. We, we, we need to learn to chew on some things that are a, a bit more challenging. Milk is pre-digested food. Yeah? So it's already kind of digested and it's given to the little baby or the little child. And so under number two, there are two things about this. It's due this congestion or this constriction that's caused by the carnal Christian, it's due to a wayward affection. It's due to wayward affections. You're getting your uh, affections set on earthly things. And you want to come to church and get a good message and a challenge and a, you know, that a boy, that a girl. And yet it's more than that. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food. And this is typically because there's, uh, the reason is behind it, there's worldly affections that we're all wrapped up with more than with the scriptures and with Jesus and with grace of God and the, and the, and the glory of God. And we, we've got to encourage one another about this issue of saying, let's grow up more. Let's grow. It's also due, we could say, letter B, to a, a weak appetite. And as with health issues, real physical health issues, one needs to consider what's being consumed. You and I, you, we don't have to travel far. I mean, we could get hooked on a, a fast food diet. It would start showing its effects pretty quick for some of us. It's a fast food diet. In other words, it's a junk food diet. And so we have to watch it because it's so easy to just go through the... Did I say easy? Yeah. It's so easy to go through the drive through and pick up your food. Okay? And so it's, it's real easy to just take my little daily bread... And read that and say, that's good enough. Now, is there anything wrong with the daily bread? I mean, hey, we've got daily breads out here in the foyer. Nothing's wrong with the daily bread. But if that's all you're eating spiritually, guess what? You need more than a daily bread. Okay? And it's interesting how the Bible teaches that the Spirit of God resides within the believer... And he is called the wonderful counselor. He's the teacher. He guides you into spiritual truth. And a lot of times we're not relying on him. And so I understand there's a balance here. I get that. There is a balance that we've got to watch. And because some of you need something like, here's the daily bread. It's going to be simple and elementary and you can eat it, swallow it, and be encouraged. But there's also the issue of 
You, how long have you been a Christian? How long have you been a Christian? And think about that. Is it, it does what my diet look like? Does that correlate with how long I've been a Christian? So, what's your appetite like? Is it a weak appetite? You know, again, the the idea of milk being used here, it's suggesting the ABCs. It's suggesting the basics. And back when we had Sam, our first first child, I still remember getting the, the vegetables into this little contraption and squishing them. Squish those green peas up. Yeah. And we'd feed little baby Sam the mushed up peas. That's kind of like the milk thing. You know, we don't want to, you know, have a bunch of peas lodging in his throat and causing him to choke or whatever, all that. So, and, and it's true also for us as believers. We need to get off the mushed up peas and move on to meat. Meat, the solid food. And the meat requires more effort. Um, the little tiny babies aren't going to have steak for lunch today or even hamburger. They're, they're going to have milk. Good. The adults ought to say, yeah, I'm ready for a steak. I'm ready for hamburger. I'm ready for whatever. Meat. Okay. Hebrews chapter 5, 13 through 14 tells us everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of truth or in the word of righteousness since he is a child. There's the presumption or the assumption. He's not going to live on solid food. He's going to live on milk. But solid food is for the mature. And in that passage at the end of Hebrews chapter 5, he goes into talking about the issue of discernment, being able to distinguish good from evil. That's one of the reasons why we are to move on to meat. Solid food, discerning good from evil. That's one of the goals as you go about your walk in this life with the Lord. The carnal Christian does not expend the effort to consume and digest the word of God. He'd rather be, hey, just give me it. Spoon feed me. So that's what, where we're, that's what we're dealing with. Okay? So... Moving on, point number three. The complications of carnal Christian causes a certain, number three, corrosion. It's a corrosion to the body. The body of believers. Look at verse three and four in chapter three, verse three and four. He says, you are still fleshly. For since there is, and he just lists these issues, since there is jealousy... And strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men, according to the the ways of the world? Aren't you walking that way? And so this is how we break down this passage. Is letter A, envy. Letter B, strife. And letter C, partiality or divisions. So that's the corrosion working in this group of believers back in Corinth. Some of you grew up in the Midwest, and you saw what the 
the snow and the wetness and all did to your vehicle back, especially as I was growing up in the 60s and 70s. It's just, here's rust. Rust that's eating away. Okay? And this is the same kind of thing, folks. When we are walking as carnal, worldly, fleshly Christians, there's a corrosion that starts eating away because of these things and other things. Things like envy. These are evidences of our carnality. When envy, because envy is the attitude of jealousy, an attitude of bitterness towards somebody else, because they possess something uh, that you didn't have, and all the while you desired it. And don't tell me you don't have that problem. We all have that, and we have to recognize it as sin. It's corrosion to the body of Christ. Envy. Would you please turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 15? I want to show you an example of this. Luke chapter 15. Very familiar story. It's in your Bible known and called the the prodigal son, but actually I love to call it the story of the loving father. Because really, the the spotlight ought to be on the loving father, not the prodigal son. The son finally came. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men in verse 19, verse 20. So he got up and came to his father, but while his But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him in verse 20 and felt compassion for him, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. This is the celebration. And what it is, is the celebration of somebody coming to faith in Christ. It's someone coming to faith in Christ. And the father is saying, let's celebrate. The lost has been found. Amen. Okay. But however, verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he, who's that? The older son became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. And he answered and said to his father, the older son says to his father, look, for so many years, I've been serving you. I have Never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has de- and, and he came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. Now, think through this. There's a demonstration of envy on the part of the elder son. Why? Why? Because he's in a mode of pleasing 
through his, you know, here's his, in, in essence, it's like, here's the Pharisee. Here's the Pharisee. Look at me, God. I mean, you never treated me this way. You know, folks, there's a huge, huge message here in this story of the loving father slash prodigal son that we don't let it sink in enough. But this is this is like one of the most amazing stories. And when we grab a hold of it, our lives will be noticeably different. Why? Because of the father recognizing, you know what? If you're the prodigal son running back and saying, I don't, I don't deserve being called your son. And yet, what does the father do? And look at how the elder son responds. And this is why I bring it up is because you and I are church people. Now, I'm, you know, we've got people, you're here this morning, you say, I'm a believer. Okay. But all too often, this shifts into a troubled, into troubled waters, if you will, because we get to thinking like the elder son. And that's what we have to be on the alert for. And the envy leads to the second one. The envy leads to strife. Letter B. The disciples argued over who is going to be the greatest. Mark chapter 9. Okay? They, they argued over who would be the greatest. And the arguments... Now, arguments aren't bad in themselves. But the arguments that deflect your mind or my mind from the centrality of Jesus and the, and the spotlight of the cross of Jesus, well, those are typically going to be fleshly and carnal. Okay? You get into arguments that deflect and detour your mind and your thoughts away from Christ and away from the cross. And you say, that. how much do I really need to dive into this argument? Okay. You and I have, in, in fact, let's turn and look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is very important because it just pinpoints what we have to do. Because uh, uh, so much of what we deal with is a battle in the mind. A battle for your mind. And what thoughts are going on there. And 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, starting at verse 3, says, For though we walk in the flesh, and that's, in this context, that's not bad, Walking in the flesh. He's describing now you're just here you are in your physical body. We walk in the flesh. But we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Now he goes into here's the spiritual. But they're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. What happens here? Why is he talking about fortresses? Because of the image that that creates for these Corinthians. Fortresses built up against the cliffs that you couldn't penetrate. That's what's going on in your mind. There's certain fortresses that get built up in your mind that have to be knocked down because they're not godly. 
And they've been there for years. You, you know, the way the, the world is, the way that we are as people, that builds up. And it's like, here are these fortresses of how we think. It's a mental thing. And what is he going to say? We destroy speculations or we destroy the arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. Okay, so there, there's a great um, vivid picture of what, you know, we're to be concerned about the knowledge of God. Is there something in my mind or your mind that raises itself up against that knowledge? Then that's got to be destroyed. That's got to be torn down. Okay, so all the while, this business of strife that comes up is really arguing and quarreling. It can be arguing and quarreling with people. It can be an arguing or quarreling spirit. And the source of that is what you've been thinking, what you've been feeding your mind. Okay, so where does that lead us? Number three, uh, uh, letter C is partiality. Back into 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the issue of partiality or divisions. It's about divisions. Look at verse 4. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? And see, there's the tendency to move into this issue of partiality. Well, you know, I'm, I'm of Billy Graham. And someone says, well, I'm of Chuck Swindoll. You know, and I, I think he's better. And I know most of us don't get into arguments like that and say, well, you know, this guy's better and I really like him. We, that's trivial there. That, that's not the issue. But here it came about. And it's in essence what Paul is saying there at the end of verse 4 when he says, are you not acting like the world or mere men? What's he really saying? Hey, you Christians, your conduct can't be distinguished from the world. Your conduct can't be distinguished from that of the world. Now, that ought to motivate us about our lives and what we're thinking because do you want to be accused of that in your walk with the Lord? That you're looking more like the world than a, than a Christian. You say, that came from this verse? Yeah. Because of the, who's the, bo- who's the head of the body? It's Jesus. And yet, we might not say someone's name like Charles Swindoll or, you know, Al Mohler or whoever. We might say it like, you know, well, your church really isn't that good. This, and we get into squabbling. We don't want that. The Bible gives us an example in 3 John verse 9. I've mentioned it there on the point of um, number C. Gave you those references, James and 3 John. It's actually verse 8 and 9 that you can reference that later. But that's about a guy by the name of Diotrephes. And Diotrephes had an attitude, and he didn't accept others. 
and it was like this this guy's a hot shot he's he's claiming the spiritual authority in fact he didn't even submit to the authority of the apostles that's what john was writing about and so i remember a guy a long time ago referring to this as the the diatrophies disease it's an issue of pride So, you see here, in this, under number three, this point, the, the certainty of corrosion when there's carnal Christian living. You see here what it is that detracts from the body of Christ. Things like envy, strife, and partiality. Let me say something real quick on partiality. Um, I... I would encourage all of us here. I, I mean, again, it, it's something I have to say to myself and to all of us. You know, it's like after service. Are you caught just all the time with the same people? Service Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And all the while, you know, here's one person or two persons that are walking out without even a welcome. You know, I want to encourage us in that way and not lose that giftedness because that means something special. When when we who are here all the time and we recognize somebody new and we let them know we're glad that they were here and we look them in the eyeball and we do our best to remember their names. Those kind of things is really critical. It's really important. And I know it's like, I know what it's like, I, you know, I got so much work to do when I get home. I, I got to go. So I'm not going to. Yeah, we understand those kind of things. And yet there's still space and importance for you and I to say, you know, I've been here for 20 years or you've been here for 30 years or however many years you've been here. Look to welcome other people so that if the Apostle Paul wrote to Parkside Bible Fellowship, would he be saying, hey, you've got envy, you've got strife, and you've got partiality? Think about it. Okay? And let's turn that. That's what leads us to point number four. All these things we say, here's what is caused by carnal Christian living. There's a certain confusion. There's a certain constriction. There's going to be certain corrosion to what, what's supposed to be going on. But now that all leads to what we say it calls for a certain conviction of how we then live. All this builds up to calling you as an individual to join in with a church that says, here's our conviction. Okay? And that leads us to a parallel passage, if you will, in Ephesians chapter 4. So turn there, please, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll close with these points fairly in rapid, sty- rapid style. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. We just talk about, here's the problem with carnal Christian living. Okay? And now we are called to having a conviction about how to go about it. This is what turns things around, that there's an edifying church that I'm a part of. Okay, I I realize I'm talking to you, you're here, you're here on a regular basis, and I, I hope that 
that's what Parkside can continue to be and that we pray that God would help us to continue to be an edifying and equipping church. It's nice to say, hey, we've got a couple of young people that grew up here and went off and went to be a missionary. That's great. But that's not something to boast in. What we need to do is keep on encouraging and equipping, you know, edifying one another. Who wants to show up Sunday after Sunday and get ripped into? By the pastor. You're not good enough. Why don't you do this more? Come on. That's not kind of the ministry that we want to have. That's not going to accomplish stuff. Browbeat the people. No. It's it's to join in this process. Everyone, join in. I wish I had a bunch of Legos. And each one of you, come on up one by one, and we're going to build the Lego thing and see it in person, see see the actual illustration. And everyone pitches in. Everyone pitches in. And that's what it's like for you as a believer. Okay? If you're a believer, that's the idea we need to have is everyone partakes, everyone builds in. Okay? A building up church. Okay? Um, the idea of equipping. It's like, you know, having a fishing uh, expedition. And the boat is equipped. You don't have to go out, you know, way out in the ocean and then realize, oh, we forgot the the bait. Come on. We got to go back in. No, the boat is equipped. And that's the idea for equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. Then letter B, there, there needs to be a conviction about sound doctrine in your life. Sound doctrine. It's for the stabilization in all of the issues of life. All the issues of life. And especially nowadays with all this technology and all the things that you can be hearing and listening to in one little week's time, it's amazing what you can listen to. And if it's not sound doctrine, beware. The more there can be sound doctrine... You're just following along with what Ephesians 4.14 says. As a result, we are no longer to be children, vulnerable, gullible, easily victimized. We're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried by, by every wind of doctrine, but speaking the truth in love. Okay? Do you, you know... We all want that stable kind of thinking of, uh, of life. My life is somewhat stabilized. We want that. Sometimes God throws a little bit of a storm in there to cause you to say, hey, I, I've not been really trusting in the Lord. So that, that causes me to have pause and say, wait a minute. I've been playing a game. I need to really trust the Lord here. Anyway, sound doctrine is critical. It's not just some little... Uh, by thing that we throw in, it's, it's critical for us. Then number letter C, the balance of truth and grace. That's what he gets into when he says in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love. This is about relationships, right? And people that are concerned about edifying one another will speak the truth in love. And that goes back to when John describes Jesus' entrance into this life. John chapter 1, verse 14. He came full of what? 
truth, and grace. Jesus came full. That's the, that's the key word. Jesus came full of truth and grace. Some of us are pretty good at, at truth. But we're really good at grace. That factor in your life. Some of us are really low on grace and high on truth. It's an interesting little thought there. But Jesus came full of truth and grace. Okay? Second Peter 3, verse 18. You can mark that down. Second Peter 3, verse 18 says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then letter D is the issue of control. It comes back to what we started with. Here's the control issue. The control of, the God, of God's Spirit. How many times does the scripture tell us, walk, walk in the spirit, walk in this way, walk in the truth. That's what we're called to. And it's step by step by step, walk in his strength. And then today, throughout the week, as you see people who, you know, they're wanting to honor the Lord in their life, affirm them, would you? Would you affirm them? Affirm them and encourage them in, in their walk. When we do that, you know, it's, it's such a pleasant surprise because we're typically expecting someone to come up and say, hey, I need this. Can you help me? <laughs> and yeah, you want to help out. But just to have somebody come up to you and say, you know, I just sure appreciate your servant's heart. Thank you. You're a blessing here. Thank you. That's all. Have a great day. What does that do to you? How does that, you know, those kind of things, you know, that's, that's what we want to encourage. So, I, in saying what's been said here this morning, there's, there's no intention at all to say, oh, um, as a church, we're just doing terrible and you're so immature. I'm not saying that. But I am saying, guess what the Bible says about where you're at in your life. Last week, it was about maturity. This week, it points out about immaturity. And look at the corrosion that happens. Look at the mess that can happen when you and I are just acting like, hey, doesn't matter. I'm going to heaven anyway. What's the big deal? Can I say this? I will say this. You might not be going to heaven. Just because you made some decision years and years and years ago doesn't mean you're going to heaven. I want you to think about that. We get, we get kind of in a lockdown with stuff in our minds about well, yeah, I, I, I'm a believer. Jesus said there's going to be people who come unto him and say, Lord, Lord, I did this. Lord, Lord, I did this. And Jesus says what? Depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me. You, you, you're not here this morning that you, you, you're building up your life to want to hear that from the Lord. You're here, you want to worship the Lord. You want to grow in the things of God. But we have to understand, 
people get locked into church attendance and good behavior and not think of, have I really come to terms with my salvation? Am I really saved? I finish by saying, repent. Acknowledge your sin before God. Turn to him in faith. Trust him. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. All you need to do, it's not like you have to walk this aisle to come forward and become saved. If you want to do that, that's fine. But what matters is that you do business with God, and it's on his terms. He brought about the reconciliation, giving us the ministry of reconciliation so we could pass along the message of salvation. There's, Folks, there is nothing greater. There's nothing greater. You can have all the money in the world in your bank account or whatever. There's nothing greater. You can have uh, all the stuff in the world. No, there's nothing greater than knowing Jesus and having a confidence in him and knowing that he's doing his work. He is faithful. He is good. We want to encourage you about this business of growing in the Lord. There's home Bible studies. There are Sunday school classes. There's men's groups, women's groups. Uh, the women's group is doing a great study on this book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand still, right? And, you know, there's plenty of opportunities in this way to help equip you tonight for the students. Opportunity there. Children have the opportunity. You know, uh, moms with mops, you know, the mops ministry, all this. Saying, God, please help us to be an equipping church, an edifying church, a church that exalts Christ, and a church that's passing along the good news of salvation that Jesus saves. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be a people who are... good at feeding milk to uh, the believers, but also that we're good at feeding, uh, sharing the solid food. Lord, we want to be stretching ourselves in that way. And obviously you do the work to build us up, to, to help us to grow. Lord, there's times where we get stubborn and we fight against your, your way. Lord, thank you that you've given your children the Spirit of God to guide and direct and to bring about glory unto your name. So, Lord, if our lives, uh, if today and through this week we could just be giving you thanks and giving you more and more glory for what you're doing, um, that's a good thing. And, Lord, help us to be a people that are remembering how we came to faith in Christ and that we might share that with other people our neighbors or our friends or co-workers. Lord, we've got so much to learn. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can stand strong on the promises of God. That Jesus is the rock of our salvation. Do your good work and continue to grow us in our faith. We love you, Lord. We love you. Help us now to go out and and reflect that to those that we live with and those that we uh, come in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen.